Just like that, the final hour is here on this Wednesday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow here across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our live location. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine resides right here along with the Outkick studio. Chad, uh, coming up in about 20 minutes, Bernard Pollard will join us. Former Purdue Boilermaker and NFL safety Super Bowl champion uh, joins us uh, via Zoom. That's coming up in 20 minutes. Headlines include Joe Burrow, who is back at practice for the Bengals. And Mac Jones is the he's the guy in New England. I mean, we thought he was last year. And of course, when they drafted him at 15, uh, 15th selection two years ago. But there was always that buzz that Belichick wasn't happy. Well, they only had one quarterback on the roster until today when they signed the guys they cut back to the practice squad. Weird. The whole thing has been bizarre. Very strange. Looking forward to Bernard Pollard coming up a little bit later. No doubt. Uh, so each day this week leading up to kickoff, been discussing the top two conferences across the country, the brands, the SEC and the Big Ten. Everyone else follows. And the expectation, the pressure, the hype, and the talent within the conferences. And it's led us to today's discussion on the college football coaches in the Big Ten and the SEC who are on the rise and we'll select one as well on the slide for each conference. I am high on Wisconsin. I'll, I'll raise my hand and admit when I'm wrong here. You I have a badger buzz. I don't, what think, you're I don't think I'll be wrong, though, because Luke Fickle is taking over the program. Paul Chris did a great job. And we went through his record and why he was let go and if it was fair, if it was unfair, what, what was going on with the program. Haven't won the Rose Bowl since 99. Haven't won the conference since 2012. They made the right hire here uh, with Luke Fickle and what he did at Cincinnati and what he's going to do at Wisconsin with Mordecai, their quarterback now who transfers from SMU. Solid run game, but an offense now, Chad, that is going to feature more of the air raid, more of the passing attack, which is what they've got to get to. Fickle will, will bring that. And uh, so will their uh, offensive additions. I, I'm looking at their schedule. And the reason I say he's on the rise, it, it, it's a difficult schedule compared to what we see from Michigan-Ohio State. They open the season against Buffalo. Then they're on the road against Washington State. Home against jo Georgia Southern. Then they uh, get back into Big Ten play. They've got Purdue, Rutgers, Iowa, Illinois, and then games against Ohio State, Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, followed by Minnesota. I mentioned the full schedule because I think how it trends is momentum for Fickle in the program where I don't believe we'll look at James Franklin as the third best coach in the conference. I think it'll end up being Fickle, who will be on the rise behind Harbaugh and Ryan Day. And I think Harbaugh's out of the conference after this year. I think he's back to the NFL Fickle overtakes that spot, too. And he meets expectations. He exceeds expectations. And there's not a lot of expectations set in year one for him. You don't discuss him when you start rattling off teams. You do, but you have to list three or four or five. He will be top of mind by the end of the season for what the Badgers can accomplish with the additions they've made through the transfer portal. To me, there's a balance there that needs to be struck for Wisconsin from the old to the new. I don't think you completely abandon... Great running, uh, running, run blocking offensive line play, great running backs, rushing attack. The way they play, there's a middle ground. 
you got to sure. advance. you got to move more towards this century. You need more athletes on the outside while also being able to get two yards when you need it, which is the Wisconsin way. And I think Luke Fickle is the right coach to, to play that balancing act with what they're doing. And they, and they bring you. Phil Longo over, too. Yeah, it's, so, it's a no-brainer, great hire to me. I thought the same about Scott Frost in Nebraska. That's fair. And others, so things can't go south, but I do think it's going to work and out he, he waited. for Wisconsin. He waited and chose this program. So I, I, I think he's... He's not just sitting in the uh, sitting on the wayside here waiting on the next jump. I think he's invested, and I think he builds it great. My riser in the Big Ten, Mike Loxley at Maryland. This is a guy who uh, failed badly in his first head coaching job at New Mexico. It's gotten better at Maryland. He's recruited well. He had five guys drafted in this last NFL draft. I think that Mike Loxley in Maryland will be 5-0 and going to Columbus, Ohio. They open with Towson, Charlotte, Virginia at home, all likely wins. Two of the three likely blowouts. Maybe Virginia also a blowout. At Michigan State, that's the big swing game for them. Indiana at home. Those five, they get to 5-0. and They were 8-5 and a year ago. Um, great offense led by Talia Tungavailoa. Mike Loxley's a good recruiter. The NIL system with Mike Loxley's recruiting ability and his network of guys, perfect in a transfer portal era. They bring in Tyrese Chambers from FIU at receiver and Caden Prather from West Virginia as a wide receiver. These guys are difference makers from day one. And they lost some guys the NFL at receiver a year ago. Maryland a year ago was 7-0 when they got over 400 yards in a game. 0-5 when they don't. They go as their offense goes. And they've got a veteran quarterback. There's a lot of turnover at quarterback throughout the Big Ten. Not at Maryland. Talia Tungavailoa makes Mike Loxley a riser in the conference. This is going to be a very good and dangerous Maryland team. They're not right there with the Big Three and the Big Ten East. But they're nipping at the heels of Penn State. And they will challenge at least a couple of those teams this year. I'm intrigued by this this is a great example of name image likeness and the impact on the portal because Loxley's also admitted they just opened a brand new state-of-the-art facility there. Yep. He said it really doesn't matter in recruiting. It's about how much money you have and what guys are getting paid to come to play at said university. If he's on the rise, I wonder if he's rising and then jumps to a program that allows him to be all in with NIL. Because he's not saying that. And I'm not saying Maryland can't pay some players. But he's not saying that unless he's getting you know, a little pushback on, hey, you've got this state-of-the-art facility. We, we've, we're spending money on the program. I, I, I found that. I, I filed that away. Yeah, because well, he can have a ton of success. Facilities are just the baseline now. Yeah. I mean, that just gets you in, just the, in the room. Yeah. Well, everybody's got great facilities. Well, everyone I'm looking at, if you're a top player, yeah. <laughs> with yeah. the money you're I mean, going to get. I, I, like, I, like the, uh, I like the answer. I, I think he rises and ends up being the head coach of a different program. Could be. But either way, we're thinking highly of Mike Lawson no doubt. after this year. Uh, within the SEC for me, Chad, maybe maybe you would say, ah, he, he shouldn't qualify here because it, he's already thought of in a very high way. I think it's Josh Heupel, new quarterback in Joe Milton, replacing Hendon Hooker, who was in the Heisman campaign before he tore his ACL against South Carolina last year. They've lost their offensive coordinator, quote-unquote, Alex Golish, who got a head coaching job at uh, South Florida, and there's been no mention, no craziness, no uh, paranoia about replacing. Think about 
the coordinators that Kiffin had to replace last year and the discussion that was going on at Ole Miss. I haven't heard a peep about that in Knoxville. It's because of Josh Heupel, who will continue to prove how great he is with the game planning aspect, the scheme more than the one quarterback, the one wide receiver, run and get open type offense. No, the, the scheme will allow them to have success. And the schedule sets up again for a lot of that momentum and praise to come about in back-to-back games against A&M and Bama going into that stretch at 5-0, and potentially. Chad, I, 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 when you start listing SEC coaches, Heupel is going to be in the upper shelf. There's Saban and Kirby Smart. Maybe it's Kirby Smart and Saban, whatever you want to argue. Brian Kelly. Jimbo Fisher is still thrown out there. No longer. Josh Heupel's in the mix now, and he's not going to be forgotten. Take out the old guys who've accomplished huge things at previous stops along the way. Um, and I'm talking about Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, to name two. And then obviously Saban and, and Kirby Smart. Mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin, Josh Heupel, to me, are right there. Yep. Um, and then it's everybody else. So I think he's already, to your point, Hutton, uh, he's, he's moved into that next yes. level of SEC quarterback, another successful season, and maybe he surpasses Elaine Kiffin, let's say, where I think they're sort of dead even right now. I think there's another level. Uh, there's another level to get to. I do think, though, that this, you know, some of them are like, well, we're going to get to see what, what's the ceiling for Josh Heupel. I think 2023 defines his floor because yeah. they are yeah. handing over the keys to a guy who lost his starting job from a guy who took the starting job that was the perfect quarterback for Josh Heupel's system. Physically, mentally, quick decisions, accuracy, everything you wanted was Hendon Hooker. Joe Milton has everything physically better than Hendon Hooker that you no would doubt. want. The mental part of it, we'll see as the season goes along. But I think this transition year to a new quarterback defines the floor, and I think it's going to be a really good floor. <laughs> I think Tennessee well, fans are going to find if it's 8-4, if 9-3 it's – which to me, nine and three is maybe the most likely of all of this. That's a really good floor from where you were from 11 and two to nine and three. There's only in year three and continuing to build and have depth. This is the first year they're going to have any depth at all on defense. And if there is another level, if they are able to get back to what they were last year, watch out because Tennessee is going to be in the mix moving forward. They they jumped big on defense last year from the year before to this year. I think they're going to take another sizable jump defensively because they've got a lot of dudes on that side of the ball now that can give them some actual depth where you're not just relying on one or two guys that are starting. And if and you lose one guy to a certain position, you're done for. That's not the case on defense. Um, I, I'm expecting good things from Tennessee this year. I need to see a little bit more of Joe Milton other than that one Clemson game before I'm able to say, yeah, they're going to be as good as they were a year ago. Guys will be running open though. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Do I think they're going 11 and two? Probably not. Do I think that their floor will be defined this year and it's going to be re- a really high floor? Yes, I, I think it will. Um, my guy, my riser in the SEC, it's a guy that everybody's heard of before, but he's about to remind a few people this dude can coach some offense. Hugh Freeze, that Auburn. Hugh Freeze is one of the more quiet hires yeah. for a guy that has beaten Nick Saban twice while he was at Ole Miss. This just sort of... You know, unlike O.J. Simpson where the glove didn't fit, the glove just fit nice and warm and snug for Hugh Freeze going to Auburn. It made so much sense when the flirtation with Lane Kiffin was over and he decided to stay 
at Ole Miss that it would be Hugh Freeze coming over from Liberty back into the SEC West. Familiar ground for him. Areas he's recruited well before. Like this hire for Auburn. I think also, Hutton, you look at their schedule. How does it stack UMass, up? UMass, Cal, Samford. They're going to be 3-0. They've got the Ole Miss schedule to begin like Ole Miss had last year. They go to Texas A&M in week four. So 3-0 to start the season. And then it gets tough. But Mississippi State down the road. Vanderbilt as a crossover opponent in the east. New Mexico State in November. I, I, I could see this being an 8-4 and four team. And that surprising people and everyone immediately saying, man, Hugh Freeze went and got Peyton Thorne from Michigan State to come in and start right away at quarterback, showing he can take a number of different types of guys and be successful offensively with those quarterbacks. He's going to show that with Peyton Thorne. I think we're thinking more highly of Hugh Freeze after this season at Auburn. And replacing every single offensive player and how difficult that is without a preseason game, without much of anything other than just a handful of practices, to get that rolling. I, I mean, the, the A&M game, to me, I'm thinking, oh, that's a, that's a very winnable game. But not based on how and what they're integrating here in the new pieces. They're going to be better based on who they're replacing and the upgrades that Hugh Freeze brings there. But I, I'm also thinking you've got three warm-up games, more or less, uh, throw Cal in the mix with that too. Is that enough to hit the hit your stride and the SEC schedule for Auburn when you take on the Aggies? Is that in College Station? Yeah, yeah. That that's, that's sort a of a, huge that's test. a must win for A and M. Yes. It feels like no, you, know, you can't a, yes. lose at home early on in the SEC. That feels season like Miami of last year at a, for A and M, where yep. everything turns. Uh, and that was after the Appalachian after State. the lost to App State. Yeah, I, I'm thinking to myself there. It's they could be an early surprise yeah. if they start winning at A&M on the road. Hutton, who's falling in the ACC this year? Or the uh, SEC? SEC? Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, I think, is out after this year. He hasn't had a six-win season at Missouri. And he's very vocal. I mean, he, he gets attention based on what he says at a podium. I'm all for that. But it, it, at some point, you have to put up more than what he's shown as the head coach in the SEC. Not named Vanderbilt. And I, as far as the, uh, the sliders, Eli Drinkwitz, you could argue they considered uh, discussing letting him go last year. This will be the year they let him go unless they were able to reach postseason play a legitimate way, and that's by having six wins. And we haven't seen that yet out of the program. So I love this guy I'm going with. He's joined the show a number of times, but I, I think the schedule does him no favors this year. And he's got such favorite son status right now. There may be nowhere to go but down. Okay. Shane Beamer mm. at South Carolina. They open with North Carolina. I think they lose that game. I think it's going to be a good game. I think they lose that one. They'll beat Furman. Then they go to Georgia. They get Mississippi State at home, and they go to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. So that's a likely two and three start, and it does not get that much easier. Florida at Missouri at A&M to follow. This is probably a team that gets better as the year goes on, and they can rack up some wins late. Jacksonville State, Vandy, Kentucky, in a stretch in October and November that they'll have. And they'll get bowl eligible, but I think we're gonna, it's going to be come back down to earth a little bit year for Shane Beamer in South Carolina. I, I don't think Spencer Rattler can play consistently the way he did those last two weeks. If he does, look out. 
This team's got some good talent and can do some big things. I don't think he does that. Chad, for me in the Big Ten, Kirk Ferentz is my answer for the slider. He's been the head coach since 99. There are those that say he will never be fired as the head coach at Iowa. Think about the coaches throughout the last 20 years that we could say that about, that resigned. He's 68 years old, and his son is the offensive coordinator who took a pay cut and has to average 25 points per game at Iowa. That's not happening. I got two words for you. Greg Shiano. We have to hit this later. Shiano. That's my faller. Ed. Chad's Dive Tribe. It's my fall guy. Bernard Pollard, though, joins us next. Buckle up. Hot mic rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our studio spots with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot mic with Hunting Withrow rolls on here on Outkick. Chad, you opened the show by saying we bang hats. Yeah. And one, one of our guests absolutely did that throughout his career. He did so. So we do so figuratively. Right. He did We're so. We're to bring that energy. He did so literally. Right. He is known for hat banging. Yeah, which we, uh, we have mad respect kindred for. Kindred spirit of ours. No doubt. Bernard Pollard joins us, former NFL safety, Super Bowl champion, Purdue Boilermaker, and more. Bernard, good to see you, BP. Man, good to see you guys. How y'all doing? Doing great, man. But I see the backdrop. You have a phenomenal uh, home studio, by the way. Um, the game balls. <laughs> uh, yeah. How many do you have behind you on the shelves? Oh, man. Um, Plenty. Yeah, I got I see yeah, it's, interception, it's a lot. interception, interception on a yeah. few of them. Awesome. Yeah, high school, well, high high school over here, high okay. school ball. However, my fingers going. Um, rookie ball, Super Bowl ball, uh, interceptions, forced fumbles, block punts, block field goals, uh, touchdown balls. So yeah, so it's it's uh it's pretty pretty fun. Let, let's <laughs> jump right in, man. We're we're uh, about a week away from the regular yeah. season kicking off next Thursday night. Uh, rosters are set. Yeah. Is there a team that is not getting enough attention right now for you? And if so, why going into the NFL season? And who do you point to that we should be paying more attention to instead of just, you know, the Chiefs? You know what? I, I, I'm going to say no. I mean, because as you guys know, it, it, you, you've guys been, you guys been covering this for a long time. Um, 32 teams are talking about winning the Super Bowl. Uh, we're going to, that thing is going to dwindle down real soon here in about the next two and a half months. Uh, Cause we're going to figure out who's pretenders and, and uh, who are contenders. And um, you know, so I, I look at all of this and, and I just say, let this thing play out. I, 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 we see, we all see the jets getting a lot of hype. Of course we see the Kansas city chiefs getting a lot of hype. Now I truly believe the Kansas city chiefs, are contenders simply because of the head coach uh, who is the head coach, the overseer and the office of coordinator. Plus they have the best quarterback in, in, in football. Um, the jets, I can understand you have probably the second to third best quarterback in the national football league uh, with Aaron Rodgers, And, and, and with that move and, and obviously going into uh, the New York market, they're going to do everything they can to pump them boys up. Um, but I just don't know how, powerful uh I, I don't know if that team if, if that team on paper is going to be as good as they're talking about because I don't trust the defense they're athletic they're really good I just don't trust them this year I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to pull some things out of his hat um to be able to get that team over the hump I I, I mean he can but I don't know if it mixed well. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting. I'm rooting for the Lions. I'm really am. Uh, for an NFC team, I'm rooting for the Lions. I like Coach Campbell. I, I, they they have probably the second best athletic team in the National Football League. Them, the Jaguars, and the Jets. Um, 
three of the most athletic teams in the National Football League, and it's not even close with any other roster. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the, the lines are a good example of my next question. So you're a competitor. You're a leader. Right. Uh, you being like just a player in the locker room. Right. Uh, but you're, uh, you have Jared Goff as your quarterback. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. Are you mm-hmm. really buying into the fact that you're a Super Bowl contender if you don't have one of the top five or six dudes in the NFL at that position? Heck yeah. I mean, l- let's look at golf stats. I mean, he threw seven picks last year. Yeah. I mean, he, he was and remarkable. he's been to a Super Bowl. Thank you. Yeah. So th- this kid can play. He has the experience. He has been lighting it up. Um, they had a top offense uh, last year. Uh, you know, for the Lions taking the heat that they took, Coach Campbell taking the, the heat that he took, I respect him first and foremost because he he took a lot of heat for the team, uh, which the heat should have been on Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator who was calling cover zero in the craziest situations, putting his defense out there with 80, 75, 80 yards of field behind him and cover zero. Well, the quarterback was finding the one player that didn't play it right, and it was touchdown because when that one player messed up, it, you can't you you can't make up for that, and so you know Aaron Glenn should uh, should have took a lot of the heat last year for the Lions' uh, failures, uh, a lot of their losses. Uh, but you know they came on strong uh, at the end of last year. So I'm just look golf can lead his team to the Super Bowl. He's he's led that offense uh, to be powerful. He's led the offense uh, to to score a lot of points. Um, the defense has just got to catch up. And I think if they do that, they can win the North. I think they can make some noise in the NFC uh, playoff-wise. I mean, it's really not a lot of powerful teams, a lot of teams no. that we're talking about as far as the NFC. Bernard Pollard with us at Crushboy31 on social. Trey Lance getting a second chance in Dallas as a backup yep. to Dak Prescott. When his story is over, Bernard, will we see a guy who was overrated, overvalued, where we didn't see him play much football, but people got enamored and in love with his traits? Or is this the start of the next act where he starts to get more experience and eventually figures it out and becomes a starter in the National Football League? I mean, to be honest with you, the 49ers, uh, you know, they're not getting enough heat for this. Uh, for I, I really I honestly just I don't believe they're getting enough heat for the evaluation on him, the 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 capital that they gave up for him um, and then trading him and getting a fourth round pick for him. I, I, that right there was a steal um, or not. I shouldn't say a steal. They, they, it was robbery for on the 49ers behalf. I'm surprised the the, the Cowboys gave up a fourth round yeah. if, if that stands true um, for a kid that threw 56 passes in his career, 797 yards, five touchdowns and three interceptions. And, you know, he, he's just, you know, he, I don't see him beating out Dak. I mean, is it, was it smart uh, for uh, the Cowboys to make a decision to go get him? I, I don't know if it was smart. I mean, obviously Dak has, has missed some games in the last couple of years because of, you know, little injuries, but I, I don't know if he's, he, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know if he's better than Dak. I know he's not better than Dak. Um, can he learn another system uh, from what he was doing in, in, with the 49ers uh, going to the Cowboys? I think that's more pressure on him playing for the Dallas Cowboys. I really do. Uh, they're, they're America's team. Uh, you know, they're not in the New York market, but at the end of the day, we all talk about the Cowboys all the freaking time. So at the end of the day, I don't know if this was a good decision um, to pick him up. Cause I don't know if he makes that team better um, if if he goes down. I really don't. I mean, we saw uh, who was it Greer stepped in last year and won some games for the Cowboys. I don't know if Trey Lance can do that. I mean, I, I really don't. I don't know if he can do that. I don't know if Coach McCarthy is a quarterback whisperer who can pull some out of this guy because I mean, we all thought Shanahan could do it and yep. he couldn't. 
Yeah, and I mean, he's got to beat out Cooper Rush, too, you know, that uh, backup there. And he's attempted 420 passes in his college and NFL career combined. That was the thing that was crazy. And you were doing some scouting. You are doing some work with prospects uh, right after your career, Bernard. It's like, you're not playing. How do you actually judge what a guy is or what he's not? Yeah, it's it's tough. And and, and I made a mistake with, uh, yeah, because Rush uh, stepped in. But obviously, Greer was there too. Yeah, Yeah. Greer Greer was there as well. But I just don't, I mean, I I just don't know. With this evaluation, and and, and this is the crazy thing about football. Uh, I, I mean, these guys come out of college and making the money that they made. He's made a lot of money to not had have done anything. I mean, I shouldn't yeah. say anything a lot in the NFL. He hasn't done it. And, um, you know, uh, people expected the, the organization expected him to be able to do some things, but you know, but I, I guess he was just available, you know? So if they thought that he was the best player available, uh, that year, I mean, they need to fire that entire scouting staff, um, because they did a terrible job. Uh, like I said, they gave up a lot of capital and, you know, going to get him, you know, and, and he wasn't able to beat out the Garoppolo's and, or, you know, or the other guys, the, the Purdy's that they brought in. I mean, freaking a i'm sorry man but you know at the end of the day they're not getting enough heat and they got bailed out getting a forefront pick because at the end of the day a forefront pick is still pretty doggone good if you make the right selection jonathan taylor's situation in indianapolis how does something what seems just kind of simple get to this point where he has ankle surgery he's supposed to be ready for camp it's a it's a week it's like six to eight weeks recovery time and he's failing a physical going into a camp where he had surgery in January. He's on PUP to begin the year. He's not traded. And he's kind of in purgatory here. What do you make of this? And how does a team that relies on him, basically, he's their offense with a rookie quarterback. How do they let it get to this point? You know what? I, I wish, and, and I don't know Taylor personally. And so, you know, right now, I mean, we all are doing a lot of assuming. Um, I wish he would have went about this a different route. Um, I think he knew he was the best player. Uh, when you have a rookie quarterback uh, coming in, um, I think he held all the cards. I think if he played this thing the right way, um, he got exactly what he wanted after the first couple of games. I mean, we have to be honest, uh, and we all understand that this is a business. Uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts were not good last year. Uh, Jonathan Taylor played, what, 11 games last year. You're coming off of an injury, and you're expecting to come in to be paid. You're demanding to be paid. Well, when it's all said and done, bro, we got to see you in camp. We got to see you first couple of games to see, you know, can we – count on you, you know, and I, and I truly believe they can, but I think the way that he went about his business was the wrong way. And I, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think he's hurt right now. Right. I don't, either, I don't buy it. Exactly. I'm not buying that at all. Fell in the physical. I mean, as a professional football player, when you want, when you don't want to hold out or you don't want to be whatever, you show up to the you show up to the facility and you know that's the first thing you say, like, okay, no, I can't do. And right. And so now they just put failed next to it. Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that he was hurt. He just went about it the wrong way. And I think leadership came in and said, no, we not. Hey, we going to stand tall and we're not going to buck against this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going we gonna to stand our ground. And that's exactly what they should do, because I think as a player, a, a player of his talent, a player of his uh, of, of everything that he's done for the Indianapolis Colts. I just wish he would not have done it this way, because I, I, when it's all said and done, they still hold the cards. They have it all. So he can hold out all he wants to. He can take this stance. Next it rolls over to next year. So then you don't get it, you don't get a season if, if you don't want to come out and play. You know, so when it when it's all said and done, for players that's listening to this, uh 
future players, you know, guys that are playing like do do business better. We have got to do business better because these men and women, they don't have to budge if they don't want to. I just think we're in the NFL now where players are speaking and they feel like they need to be heard. They're going to get everything that they demanded. And that's just not true. Bernard, I'm kind of loving this Jim Harbaugh versus the NCAA thing that's going on where Harbaugh clearly doesn't think he should be suspended at all, (laughs) but his university is forcing him to take a three-game suspension. So he goes on with his press conference and just comes out and starts blasting the NCAA on something else, the lack of revenue sharing with players and how it's ridiculous how they make millions and they're not willing to give up a piece of that pie for college football players. Are, Are you entertained by Jim Harbaugh versus the NCAA? Smoking mirrors, man. Just smoking. Yeah, we'll we'll change the argument if we need to. But I got plenty of ways I can hit the NCAA without talking about this specific case. Yeah, look, this is something where you know I I know Coach Harbaugh and and, uh, look this this self imposed suspension and you know bringing in his father and then saying other people are going to step in, but he's going to be there throughout the week to do all of this. I I mean, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true. Something was done. Um, something illegal was done. And he's tr- they're trying to do everything they can um, to throw smoke or throw dirt back on to, uh, to the NCAA when when violations were had, you know, and 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 they made them. I, I think we all know it. most teams in the NCAA. They are doing it. And, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, for for Coach Harbaugh, you know, I, I just. You don't want to take that fight. Uh, because if they come back and start digging and digging and digging, we're going to find out some stuff. And, and um, you know, just take the, the the self. It's three games. Take the three games. I think what two, I don't even know who all they play the first couple games of the yeah, season. It doesn't but, matter. East Carolina, right. UNLV, yeah. Bowling Green, uh, no right. one. Right. So, dude, like, bro, you still there at the facility. You're not gone. You got, you know, your father in who's going to do whatever you tell him to do anyways, who's actually a cool dude. Yeah. I love Great that guy. dude, man. Yeah, Great I've, dude. I've met him. Good dude. <laughs> Yeah, and man. It, it, so it, if you don't like your situation there, he's got the NFL to go back to. Hey, final thing, final 60 seconds here. Saban's not going to release a depth chart. Yeah. Is that where we're headed now, where the, the guys on the roster, the kids on the roster can't handle being second place, even though they're going to be placated to based on the transfer portal? Look, I, I look at this. At the, the first thing I, 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 I see when I, when I read what Coach Saban said, um, I don't think he trusts uh, – the players that he has uh, on on a roster, the players they have on the roster, I, um, I I don't think he's sure about I, they're going to be a good football team. But you know, when it's all said and done, I don't know for him as a head coach, and he's phenomenal. He's probably the best in college football. But you know, when I hear, okay, I just don't want to put it out there because I want I want guys to just compete. Well, you're kind of telling me something with that. Like you know, everybody's gonna come in here and compete. This is what Alabama has been doing, competing and dominating people for a very long time. You know, when it's all said and done, do you trust the talent? Do you trust the product that you're putting on the football field? I don't know if he trusts the talent that he put that he's putting on the football field. So he's saying, okay, you know what? I need all distractions. I don't, I don't even want to put it out there. Everybody, let's just do what we need to do. Let's concentrate on what we need to concentrate on. And whoever go out there, when we when we name a starter, let's just go out there and do it. I honestly feel like there's not, there's, there's some. Um, some doubt in Coach Saban. And with him doing this, because he's a very confident man. You guys no have heard him speak. Oh, yeah. no we all have seen him coach. He is confident in everything, everything that he's doing. And 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 this man is particular. Like, I mean, he's good. And this right here tells me right here, he doesn't trust uh, some, of, some of the players that are playing for him this year. 
Bernard Pollard, banging hats here on Hot Mic. Hey, delivered. BP, always. Uh, thank you for joining us. Hopefully we can do this again soon, man. Appreciate you guys. For thank you. Me. Love talking ball. Yeah, uh, great perspective there. Crushboy31 on social. Brought it. No doubt. Knew he would. Coming up, Greg Schiano is on the slide. Chad will tell you why. He's out the Big Ten. That's next on Hot Mic with Adam Withrow. Our thanks to Charlie Arnold, Clay Travis, and Bernard Pollard for joining the show. Hot Mic with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. YouTube is where you can find us. Uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Facebook and uh, the social media platforms. Just search out Outkick. We hope you subscribe, like, and uh, chat uh, with Chad live. Your favorite social media platforms. That's where you can find us. Chad, um, we mentioned briefly Jonathan Taylor and the, the situation where he's on PUP, tried to get traded. Colts didn't like the offers. I'm looking at a quote from Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, who says, he was asked the question, does he believe that Jonathan Taylor's absence or situation will hinder Anthony Richardson's growth? How do you think he answered that? Does he think it will hinder Anthony Richardson's growth having a strong back he probably said no was his answer did it stunt andrew lux growth without a special back that was his quote about that and keep this in mind jim ursay has passed the buck to ballard Uh, i know dockage thinks it's all on ballard this is on ursay the conversation started on the bus with ursay where they weren't happy with the contract ursay then talked about running back compensation across the league and said it was unprofessional uh, for running backs to discuss going back to the negotiation table about the CBA. Then said he wouldn't be trading Jonathan Taylor, not now and not in October. And then most recently said, hey, we're going to, you know, Chris is tasked with trying to get the most and get the best out of this situation with Taylor and get him on the field. Well, now you have Ballard, who's been tasked with that, trying to trade him didn't get it done, didn't like the compensation. Now he's on PUP for at least four four games, first four games, probably longer. I don't believe for a second that he's failing a physical at Miami or Green Bay if they trade him there. But apparently he's not healthy enough to be on the active roster in Indy. And the general manager who's tasked with smoothing things over and calming the waters uh, just said that it didn't stunt Andrew Luck's growth, that there wasn't a special back in the backfield. Yeah, comparing that to Anthony Richardson. It's sort of the uh, – and what Dan Dockage is arguing, others that I've, I've heard talk about the situation, Pat McAfee had a big, long piece on this. And, look, I think that Pat McAfee's friends with Jim Irsay. So, you sure. know, I, I think they're friendly. So that this is part of this, and it's being colored by that perception. Those that are way against Taylor believe he showed up ready to sabotage everything and never really wanted to have a conversation. Those that are against Jim Irsay in this think when they met in that RV, he was so out of line that that's what made it irreparable. Where others would argue, well, Jonathan Taylor came in not ready to repair anything and just took a flamethrower to the whole situation. I I don't know what's true. I know that once whatever happened in that RV happened, Jonathan Taylor had no chance of playing for the Colts again. It seemed like it was the point of no return, and he wasn't going to come back. He wasn't going to be happy there. So they had to move him or find some sort of deal. And I don't think Jonathan Taylor or the Colts 
look good in any of this. And it wasn't a lackadaisical answer in totality by Ballard. Parts of his answer also include this in his press availability today, Chad, and then we can get to Shiano. <clears throat> I want everyone to know that Jonathan's a well-respected, a really good human being, and a damn good football player. I think we all know this. Things like this happen. I tell every rookie that comes in, there's going to be a point where we disagree, and it's usually about money, and it's going to be hard. I'm going to skip around here. He goes on to say, and what sucks is, I mean, the situation sucks. I'm not going to sit here and give you some rosy picture like everything's okay. No, it sucks. It sucks for the Colts. It sucks for Taylor. It sucks for our fans. It just does. It's where we're at. It's what we've got to work through, and we're going to do everything we can to work through it. He goes on to say, Ballard says, relationships are repairable. When guys get emotional and take a stance, you've got to be able to work through those. We've got work to do. And then he ends with this. Did we give him permission to seek a trade? Yes, we did. I'm not going to get into the details of the teams, what was offered and what wasn't offered. But what I'm going to tell you is Jonathan is, is valuable. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to let him walk out of the building. That's not the best thing for the Colts and the organization. As for the decision to put him on PUP, it's when you're still having effects from last year's surgery and still having pain and not 100%. We're not going to put a player on the field that's still complaining of pain in the ankle. Wouldn't do that to any player. So it's, he's saying Taylor's the one complaining about pain in the ankle in a rehab spot after the surgery that is typically like six to eight, six to nine weeks of recovery and then back. And it's the same guy who said he would be back in 100% for the start of camp. Yeah, he's lying. There may be a little bit of discomfort, but he don't want to play. So it's easy to say I've still got complications from the surgery. Yeah, and it happened on the field last year. And they talked about the non-football injury list with the back or whatever this offseason because during camp, because you don't have to pay the guys much. You don't have to pay him his salary if he's on that list compared to the physically unable to perform list, which happens due to a football injury. Chad, Greg Schiano, your thoughts on the slider in the Big Ten. Mine was Kirk Ferentz. You're going with Schiano. This is a layup for you, my friend. 2020, 2021, 2022. So Greg Schiano took over during the COVID year of 2020. He is 12 and 22 in his return to Rutgers. Now, it's Rutgers, and when they had their heyday from 2005 to 2011, where he got things rolling at Rutgers and they won a ton of games, it took them four years to build up to that, to get there. They were in the Big East at the time. Very different conference than the Big Ten. So, I'm not slamming the 12-22 and 22 record as much as I am slamming any hope that Greg Schiano is the guy to turn it around at Rutgers. And quite frankly, I don't know who's going to do well at Rutgers. This is one of the worst conference editions. No, it's not one of the worst. It's the worst of any conference edition we've seen. Of realignment, this is the worst decision for the Big Ten to bring in Rutgers. They have not been competitive. I don't think they're ever going to be competitive. Greg Schiano is 0-9 versus the Big Three in the Big Ten East. That is Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State. Some other numbers. In those games, he's losing by an average of 42 to 15 against the top of his own division. This year, they open with Northwestern at home, must win, with a hobbled Northwestern program with all the scandal they faced this offseason. Better win in Piscataway. Better win. You don't go to Piscataway and come out there with a win easily. That's what I've always heard from brilliant football minds. Then they get Temple at home, should be a win. Virginia Tech should be a win. Maybe not. Brent Pry in year two. They were bad a year ago. That's probably more of a toss-up game. And they get Wagner at home. They may win those four games. Um, 
I don't see another win on the schedule. When you look at the Big Ten schedule from that point on, you know, games against Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, they play Michigan State. I don't see any wins for them. They were four and eight a year ago. I think they're probably another three and nine or four and eight team. I, I just think after this year, after four years with Shiano, I say that he's my big fall guy, that he will fall and he's our slider in the, in the Big Ten for this reason. The idea that he is some mastermind of Rutgers football that can reinvent Rutgers in his own image from 05 to 0, to for 2011 when they were a part of the Big East, now in the Big Ten, that myth will be proven to be true this year. It is a myth. He's not the guy. He's not a great coach. He did a great job. He is what Rutgers needed back in 2005. I don't know what the hell Rutgers needs. A new conference, probably, likely. They would do better somewhere else. They're not going to compete in the Big Ten. Certainly not in the Big Ten East when they're playing those teams. Greg Schiano's due for another fall this season, Hutton. Yeah, and, you know, Rutgers' defense is fine. Their offense is putrid. Terrible. And they lost some of their better players in in the portal. Yeah, and so, I mean, think about – it's a very interesting match. This is a Sunday game, I believe, Sunday morning. Sunday at 11 a.m. Okay. Yep. Um, 11 a.m. Central. I was uh, Jason McCourty played corner at Rutgers. I was talking with him when he was in town recently, and uh, he's calling this game. Oh, nice. And he he was like, this is a weird spot because Northwestern's coming off a one-win season, and they have, uh, with this offseason, nothing to lose. It is us against them. And with Rutgers, when is the last time Rutgers was in a pressure game in a must-win like feel to it where – they have everything to lose if you lose to Northwestern, right? Oh, yeah. It's a weird dynamic given the fact that it's Rutgers and they're not used to being in that spot, that, that feel, that vibe. It's also – Where, where you've, got it's, to, you've got to show up in week one where there's always, you know, things, that, kinks that you've got to work out. Yeah, there's not many Big Ten games you can point to in recent years where you'd say, man, it's going to be a real disappointment if Rutgers doesn't right. take care of business in right. this game. And it's not like they're great. And this is one of them. And it's not like they're great to begin with. Defense is solid, but – Again, like you've got the interim coach who's a defensive coordinator from North Dakota State. And they've got nothing to lose. It was, it, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not picking, I'm not betting this game. But I, I'm, I'm thinking, keep an eye on it just to see how Rutgers performs. Yeah, I would bet Rutgers Northwestern to cover. can come out and just go with an onside kick and do something yeah. crazy. Look, I would bet Rutgers to win this game and probably cover. I think it's like six or seven. But that tells you They're about favored it, by, absolutely. There's just not a lot of wins out there. I mean, one of their non-conference is Vatek at home. Wagner, Temple should be Northwestern. Outside of that, there's no the, games where you look at and say, Rutgers is going to get this one. Where did the Shiano buzz really get started? Because it bombed when he was in Tampa with the Bucks. Well, it was, it was at Rutgers because but it, yeah, Rutgers but it, was seen as an off, impossible place to win. But then he, you know, somehow he's been able to keep that momentum even after bombing out. So Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano are very much cut from the same cloth of just complete hard-ass disciplinarian type guys that are a little bit unhinged at times, but yet know exactly what they want in a program and, and are unrelenting in getting that. So when Urban Meyer hired him uh, to work on that staff, that, that was his rebirth because he was a part of a team that was very successful. So that's what got him back in the spotlight. Then we know what happened with Tennessee and Shiano Sunday, which is now famous where Tennessee fans revolted and um, 
had that offer rescinded for him to be the head coach. And then he became this sort of media, you know, pity man, <laughs> right? Yeah. Everyone, oh, come on, guys. Well, Look even, what he did at Rutgers. He's a good guy. Well, even with the Penn State No stuff. one deserves this, and Tennessee fans are crazy and all that. Chad. Um, yeah, he got a pass in that, too. Yeah. But I mean, a, lot of, a lot of guys did that were on those staffs. Sure. But it, it, the results versus interviews, offers, who's there, who's not. Uh, the, the craziness and how it was portrayed. Look, I, I think he would, have, he would have been a terrible hire at Tennessee and done a terrible job. It was not the right fit. If there's ever a good fit for him, it's Greg Schiano at Rutgers. It, this is the one thing that could work out. We are seeing before our very eyes, and we'll see it again on Sunday, why I don't think any human will work out at Rutgers in the Big Ten. It's not a Big Ten program. It's a fish out of water. They need a new conference. They're never going to be successful. But you know how they are successful? The checks they get from the Big Ten. That's success. Cashed them. Cashed yep. them. Big and Rich has cashed a lot of checks, Chad. Uh, John Rich and uh, coming to your city with game day. Not going to feature Big and Rich any longer. It's going to feature Darius Rucker, uh, Laney Wilson, and I believe there's one more. Cadillac 3 is also on this. Uh, but they're going, apparently, they're going to be performing the latest version of coming to your city so as they open to college game day, not got, Big and Rich. So John Rich continues to cash checks because they're licensing his song and doing a, a new version of it, yeah, a they, cover of his song for They will game unveil day. that on, uh, on Saturday morning. I'm totally fine with that. I like the song. It fits well with game day and the and vibe it, yeah, of it. It fits to the, whatever the games are. When yeah. you hear it, like I'm hearing it now and I've already got it in my head and it's stuck there all Saturday and all weekend – when you hear that song, so it's a bit of an earworm. Uh, and I don't think John Rich is all that great at singing and performing. I think he's a good songwriter and a good business guy. So I, I think Darius Rucker will do a better job with the song, would be my guess. And Lainey uh, Wilson. Like he did with Wagon Wheel? Because I'm not buying that. Yeah, I, I think Darius Rucker's good. He's good. I liked him with Hootie, yeah, and Hootie. I like him. Um, I, like him. I, I, don't, I just don't you know, prefer to hear John Rich I, I sing. Think, I think the open to game day has been awesome. With that song, yeah, uh, I, I, the, think, uh, I think he's a very smart business guy. The uh, so uh, you you don't save a horse, ride a cowboy. I mean, I, I celebrate that song, but who doesn't? If you don't, if you don't get up for save a horse, ride a cowboy, then you're just not going to get excited about anything. There's nothing that you like. Do you like to live? Yeah, I just, it's the same answer, right? <laughs> of course, I like that song. Who Chad, doesn't? Tomorrow, but I think someone else could be better singing it. Tomorrow, like big. Are they with his big hat sitting yep. in front of us at Mumford and Sons? Um, are you ready for game day? Because tomorrow is just that. We're here. We've got you covered. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. Kick things off tomorrow. 3 o'clock Eastern, 3 to 6. We'll get you through the day. Join us across the Outkick Network. <laughs>